0: To our hearts. We thank you for the great and wonderful things that you have planned for these last days. We love you, Father. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I want to start this morning in James <clears throat> chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Aren't you glad that the King James translation helps us so much in that respect? <clears throat> it means put aside the weights and the sins that beset us. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I want to talk to you about being doers of the word this morning and notice in this passage that we just read the key is not just knowing what the word says not having heard what the word says alone but doing it that was one of the greatest revelations that came to me when I got to Bible school I had previously heard some of Brother Hayden's teaching had one tape series of his, Mountain Moving Faith series, and listened to it to the point where you just wear it out. And the idea, the concept of doing the Word, of taking action based on the Word of God was just something that was so foreign to me, it wasn't like anything that I ever heard growing up in church. I had uh, grown up in the Southern Baptist Church Wonderful people, love God with all their hearts. But the idea of doing the Word, the idea of putting it into practice, the idea of being active toward what it says, it was just a... a, 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 I'd never heard of it before. It was never something that anybody in any Sunday school class that I attended... Or any church service that I was in. It was not anything that anybody ever suggested. It never occurred to us. But the Bible talks about being blessed. By doing. And continuing in the word. Notice the importance of continuing therein. Verse 25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. And continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer. But a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, do you remember in Mark chapter 11, Jesus cursed the fig tree the day before and the disciples heard it and they came by the same place the next day, the next morning, and the fig tree was dried up from the roots. Peter calling to remembrance said, master, the fig tree is dead. And Jesus said, have faith in God. In other words, he's describing or identifying the action that he took. That caused a change in the fig tree. He said, Have faith in God, for whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, the key to Mark eleven twenty-three is to speak the word and only speak the word. The key to faith, the kind of faith that works is to say what you desire based on the authority that we have from God himself and continueth therein. Shall not doubt in his heart. That means not speak anything to the contrary from the words that you've spoken to the mountain. James says that this continuation, this action of the word of God. Put in practice in our lives. He says that it's. Will bring the renewing of the soul. Or the saving of the soul. In Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Paul talks about the same thing. But uses a little different terminology. He says be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word of God is the key to being, having your soul saved. The word of God is the key to renewing your mind. Now, James is certainly not talking about being saved. When he speaks of the saving of the soul, he's not talking about the new birth. The people he's writing this to are already saved and spirit-filled. He's talking about experiencing the many blessings of God that are part of the salvation experience, the salvation life. He's talking about receiving from God all that Jesus has purchased and paid for. The key is continuation. The key is to continue. To continue. James goes on to talk about the power of the tongue. He talks about the foolishness of speaking the word on one hand and talking about circumstances Or things that contradict the word of God. On the other hand, he talks about it deceiving your own as being a deceiving action in your own soul. Now we've looked at for the last several weeks the things concerning the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Paul said in First Corinthians chapter ten that the things that happened to Israel are in samples or examples to us. And there's a lot of bad examples. There's a lot of examples of failure in the Old Testament concerning Israel. It's an amazing thing to me. It's always struck me as, as, well, more than interesting, but amazing, that the Bible tells us that when the gospel began to spread, We know that Paul was one of the great proponents of the spreading of the gospel. Paul recognized the gospel to be the power of God at work. In Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, the gospel of Christ is the word of God concerning everything Jesus did. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This word salvation is an inclusive term It means to rescue, it means to save, it means to heal, it means to deliver. All of that is in the salvation plan, the salvation package that Jesus died and purchased with his own blood. So if the word of God is the answer, if the word of God is that which keeps you from being conformed to the world, but rather transformed by the renewing of your mind, if it's the saving of the soul, if it's the power of God unto salvation, meaning any and every blessing, then why wouldn't we put all of our efforts into speaking the Word of God, acting on the Word of God, and maintaining it in our lives? Like I said, in the church I grew up in, that was never even a thought that occurred to us. But the Bible gives us the answer. It gives us an example, a pathway, if you will, to walk according to God's plan and purpose for your life. Now, we looked at some things, as I said, in the Old Testament, some of the examples that are given us. We know about the great deliverance that took place when God brought the 10 plagues on Egypt and delivered Israel from bondage we know how that pharaoh changed his mind after he let the children of israel go and came out against them to destroy them how that moses parted the red sea israel came across on dry land but when pharaoh's armies the egyptian army which was the superpower army of the world at that time when they followed them in the, uh, into the Red Sea, the waters came back together and drowned them all and destroyed the, the greatest military force on the face of the earth. And Israel didn't have to fight, Israel didn't even have to throw a rock. God's deliverance was so complete that it was absent and not connected in any way to the military might that Israel had at its disposal, which was probably not much, to be honest with you. So God delivered them. He brought Israel forth on dry ground. And it tells us about the great rejoicing that took place. Miriam, who was Moses' sister, the Spirit of the Lord came on her, And she led the singing, so to speak, for all of Israel because of the great deliverance. But then three days later, the children of Israel are murmuring and complaining against Moses because he brought them to a place that had water, but the waters were bitter. I'm not sure if that's just uh, uh, talking about taste Or it could be talking about poisonous. But God showed Moses a tree. And he cut down the tree and threw the tree into the water. And the water became sweet. And God spoke to them and said that if they would obey his words and keep his commandments. That he would bring blessing upon them and keep sickness and disease away from them, for as he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. There are times in the history of Israel where God reveals himself. And as a matter of fact, the word Jehovah literally means the self-existent one who reveals himself. So the first thing that God ever revealed himself to Israel as is the God of healing. We know that Psalm 105, I think it's verse 37, says that God brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one people among the tribes. Now, folks, we understand how they came forth with silver and gold. That was an act of God where he directed the children of Israel to go to their neighbors and ask for payment. King James says to, to borrow, but there was never any intent of, of paying it back. So it can't be borrowing as we understand it, but they literally demanded payment for the 400 years they'd been in service, service and slavery to Egypt. And the people were so, Overcome by the ten plagues. Well, at the at the point they asked the, uh, for payment, there was only nine of them that had taken place. The death of the first one was still to come. But they were so ready to get rid of the children of Israel that it says that Israel spoiled the Egyptians. In other words, they came out with virtually all of the treasure that the people owned at that point in time so when it says they brought him forth with silver and gold that wasn't their normal condition slaves aren't one to have treasure houses of silver and gold are they but it was because of an act the action that God took that they were able to spoil the Egyptians and come forth with silver and gold well by the same token the Passover which Israel was commanded to eat the flesh of the lamb for the strength of their journey that act of obedience to God's instruction healed the children of Israel in Exodus 15 verse 26 where it says I am the Lord that healeth thee the verb that's used there in that phrase means not only past events but future events so God is revealing himself he is the self-existent one and is revealing himself to be the healer of his people Now, if we just had that one scripture to go on, it might not be enough to satisfy us and to answer any and all of the questions that might be associated with it. But the Bible says that 780 years later, Hezekiah, as king of Israel, found in the writings, the historical writings of Israel, the truth of the Passover and how... Things were done when the Passover was instituted. And so he led the children of Israel into having the Passover meal. Now, there were some things about it he didn't do right because the time on the calendar, for example, was already passed when they were instructed by God to do it the first time. So there were some things that he didn't get quite right. But God saw the attitude of his heart the desire of his heart. And the Bible says that God healed the people. A whole nation of people were healed through the Passover being carried out. So God brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one people among them. Those were acts that God directed toward the people of Israel, gave them instruction on what to do and how to do it. So that they could not only be provided for, but so that they could walk in divine health. Now the Bible tells us in chapter 16 of Exodus that the people were murmuring against God again and Moses within 45 days of them having come out of Egypt and been delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. They complain about not having any food, and so he gives them manna. And he provides for them through sending quail into the midst of the camp. And here is another example of the self-existent one revealing himself. Now, there's another example in Exodus chapter 17 where it has to do with protection. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, it said, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. This is the story of when Israel was fighting against the Amalekites. And as long as Moses kept his hands raised in the air, they would win the fight. But as he got tired and his hands began to droop, then the enemies of Israel began to overtake them. So Aaron and her, two people that were helping to support Moses, set him on a rock, and they held his hands up. And so the victory was won. And God revealed himself again, the second redemptive name, He identifies himself as Jehovah Nisi. The word Nisi means banner, but it really identifies with victory. Now one of the things that's important about this is because we see the children of Israel rebelling against God, speaking against God, murmuring against Moses. We see all these things taking place. And in chapter 17 of Exodus, verse 7, it tells about uh, the name that they gave to the place. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding, that means complaining of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now that last phrase is what I want to draw your attention to. They tempted the Lord. That's what's going to happen in Numbers chapter 13 where the 10 spies, 10 of the 12 spies came back from Israel or from the promised land rather to the Israelites, the camp of Israel. And they say that we aren't able to take the land. And God calls that tempting him. Well, here in Exodus chapter 17 verse 7 is a good explanation of what tempting the Lord is. Their question is, is God with us or not? Now folks, you know as well as I do, the devil spends a lot of his time trying to make us think God's not with us and not uh, present to help us. And so the temptation that they brought to the Lord or against the Lord is, is he with us or not? God shows them that He is with them and will fight against their enemies just in the same way that they fought against and destroyed the Amalekites. The Bible continues to tell us about how the children of Israel still complained just a short time later, less than 90 days after they are delivered from Pharaoh and come out of Egypt where they're in another place where there is no water and Moses takes the rod that God had given him and strikes the rock and water comes forth in great abundance enough to water all of the animals and the millions of Israelites that existed at that time. Now, there were times where the children of Israel did the right thing. Look within uh, Exodus chapter 24. There were some times, few and far between. Exodus chapter 24. Let's read verse 3. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice. And said all the words which the Lord had said we will do. Now that's significant. Because that's the first time in the history of Israel that Israel agreed to obey the word of God. There are a couple of other times where they did and said the same things. But we see examples of Israel time after time after time where they just don't hold on to the same commitment or the commitment that they make is a very weak one because they allow the circumstances to overcome them even though God has identified the means and the way to victory there are some things that God does and shows to Israel. Look at. We're already in chapter 24. Look at verse 10. It says. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet. As it were a paved work of the sapphire stone. And as it were the body of heaven. In his clearness. God showed himself to Israel. In an unusual manner. That there is no parallel for. For. In any other place in Scripture, he literally showed himself to them. They had seen the plagues in Egypt. They saw the miracles that took place. They saw the miracles of deliverance in the destruction of Pharaoh's army. They saw God providing for them water where there was no water, water from a rock. In such abundance that it satisfied the millions of people that were there. He gives them bread, manna, which means wonder. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. And then he overcomes their enemies, as with the Amalekites. All of those things were designed to show the children of Israel that God was with them. And in spite of all this, God reveals himself in a a way and in a manner that you can't find anything else in Scripture that, that compares with. How many times have we thought or we've heard other people say, if we could just see God for sure, then we would believe. Well, they saw him. They saw him with their physical eyes. And it didn't keep them on the track of believing. I don't want to go through all the things that we, some of what we talked about last week. But I do want to point out in chapter 32, beginning in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain. You remember the story about how there were thunderings and lightnings on the mountain. The mountain itself shook continuously while Moses was up there. It was something that was so frightening to the people that they recoiled. And they finally got to the place where they said... Moses has been up there forty days. We don't have any idea what has happened to him. Nobody could survive that. They thought, and so they took action upon them, upon themselves. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, or make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. And it tells us about how Aaron made the golden calf. And when he did make the golden calf, let's read verse four. And he received them at the hand, at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, and after it made it into a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now to me, that seems like the final straw. I mean, that's the ultimate slap in God's face. They saw the plagues that came on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They saw the things that were done, the judgments that were executed. And each of these 10 plagues executed judgment on some God that they've served, some God or some God's supposed power that Israel worshiped, that Egypt worshiped. So here are the people that have just seen God with their physical eyes. They've seen the appearance of him. They've seen the image of him. And they make some golden calf, which was part of the Egypt's gods that they served, they worshiped, that God had already executed judgment on. But then they said, These are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Now we saw evidence. In chapter 17, I believe it was, where they said, we will do what you command us, Moses. You tell us what God's word says, and we'll keep the the commandments. But now, just a short time later, really within a matter of a couple of months, they're worshiping a golden calf and claiming that this God that's represented by this golden calf golden cap is really the one that delivered them from Egypt. Folks, one of the things I find interesting about how God has established his church and I alluded to it a little bit earlier but one of the things that that, uh, Paul did in the spreading of the church and the establishing of the church among the Gentile nations is that he taught them about the history of Israel he taught them about God's dealing with Israel in the Old Testament he taught them about Abraham's covenant with God he taught them things that they would not have known except for the Spreading of Christianity and the establishing of the church. Israel's history didn't mean anything to anybody. Including Israel for the most part. But Paul comes in and begins establishing and and setting up churches by the direction of God. He speaks some to the Hebrews, and you could understand why identifying parts of Israel's history among the Jews would be productive. But by and large, the Gentiles are the ones that make up the churches that Paul established. And he's teaching the Gentiles Israel's history. He's teaching about the self-reliant one that reveals himself to people that would care less, could care less about the history of another people. Isn't that seem strange? Doesn't that seem like a strange thing? Well, one of the things that we see in Israel's history is the back and forth among the Israelites believing one thing one day and saying so and believing something completely opposite to them the next day and saying so. James talks about this and talks about it being double-minded. A double-minded man, he said, was unstable in all of his ways. Again, we're back to the concept of continuation or continuing in the word. Well, you know the story. They came to the edge of the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. Moses sends 12 spies, one person for each of the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land tells them to come back and report to them where the people are living whether they're living in the plains or if they have walls uh, cities with walls around them he told them to bring evidence of the fruit that they found and they did and ten of the twelve brought up an evil report of the land which they searched saying the land eats up, is the land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. The people are great and strong and well-defensed behind these walls of the cities. And we can't do it. Now, folks, again, remember the temptation of the Lord in Exodus chapter 17 was where the people said, is God with us or not? So 10 of the 12 spies come back, effectively saying that God's not with us. We can't do this on our own. And God won't deliver us because of the strength of the people. And they let the circumstances that they attached meaning to pull them away from what God had said that he would do for them. Caleb and Joshua who have experienced the same thing the others had came back and said that God is on our side we can take these cities we can take the promised land don't rebel against the Lord. Now folks since they all had the same experience then there had to be Paul said in Romans chapter 10, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. For Caleb and Joshua to be able to stand up in faith and speak to the fact that God was on our side and to say that their defenses had departed from them, talking about the people in the promised land. They said with conviction, fully believing, not because of the circumstances that they saw, but because of the circumstances where God had revealed himself to them. They said, we are well able to do it. They're not talking about their own military might or their own military strength. Slave nations don't have militaries. So whatever they have at their disposal or whatever they assign value to as far as military strength. It's something where the people are untrained, unskilled, unprepared. And you can understand on one hand how the ten spies were thinking, if we have to do this militarily, then we can't do it. But God had already destroyed for their benefit the greatest army on the face of the earth. And as I said before, they never even had to throw a rock. So Caleb and Joshua, seeing the same circumstances, seeing the same situation, chose to believe God. And folks, that's all it was. It was a simple choice. They're looking at this thing from the standpoint of God. Performing the ten plagues, bringing about the ten plagues on the Egyptians. And delivering them through the Red Sea. And then not only that, but on the way to the promised land, he provided food and water for them. He provided a victory over the Amalekites. Now we don't know too much about the Amalekites, but whatever army and military force they put together would have to be greater than the Israelites. They'd have to be well better trained than whatever Israel put out on the field, the battlefield. But even at that, God provided victory, a supernatural victory through keeping Moses' hands in the air. So here the children of Israel on one hand say to Moses, whatever you tell us that God says to do, we'll do. But then they get to the edge of the promised land and they fail to keep that commitment. They allow the circumstances to change what they think and believe. Now we know the eternal law of God, there are two that are identified, both in Numbers chapter 14. The first one in verse 21, God says, As truly as I live, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27, the second eternal law of God is that he told Moses, Say unto the people, As they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto them. So, just as Jesus identifies the operation of this thing called faith, whosoever shall say to the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Faith is of the heart. And that faith of the heart is exercised or revealed, expressed or revealed by the words that you say. Well, that doesn't work out too well for the ten spies. Because they said, God's not with us. And God calls that tempting him. They assumed and they decided that they were inadequate and God's help was not for them. Folks, that's one of the reasons why the Bible says over and over again, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what battle you're in, no matter what circumstances you face, no matter what is happening in the world around us, He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But what makes the difference between Caleb and Joshua and these 10 of the other other 10 spies? They had faith and they expressed their faith that God was on their side and God would deliver the promised land into their hands. So there had to be enough of God's word spoken for them to have faith in or develop faith to stand with God. And God certainly wanted the children of Israel to take the promised land, but because of what they said and the fact that they turned away and rebelled against God, it cost them 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years of wandering around where they could have been in the promised land. But because of the unbelief of the congregation of Israel, based on what the 10 spies said, they wandered in the wilderness until that generation died out. Now turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all these people, unto the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea going toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Why would God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous when he's already said that he would be with Joshua just like he was with Moses? And just like nobody was able to withstand Moses, nobody will be able to withstand Joshua. The reason he told him to be strong and of good courage, and he said it three times there, the reason he told him to be strong and courageous is because he knew that Joshua would come up on circumstances that seem too big for them to handle. In other words, it wouldn't always look like he was with Joshua like he was with Moses. Now these are the times that you've got to prepare for. It's easy for anybody to praise God when healing comes. It's easy for anybody to praise God when he prospers you. It's easy for anybody to praise God when things are going great. But what are you going to do when it doesn't look like God's working? Because there will be times in your life where it looks like God is not working. There'll be times when it looks like in your life that he's not even around. But God's commandment to Joshua is twofold. One, be strong and very courageous. And the other is meditate in the Word. Now remember where we started in James chapter 1. The doer of the Word is the man that looked into God's perfect law of liberty and continues therein, continues therein, continues in the Word. How do you continue in the Word? Well, he told Joshua, the way that you continue in the word is you begin to speak it. The word meditate means to mutter, M-U-T-T-E-R. In other words, to say to yourself. He says, this book of the law, all they had was the word of God. Uh, that was all they had of the word of God. But the same thing applies to scripture outside or apart from the book of the law. So if we just incorporate it, we can say this book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Now how do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? Once you say it, it's gone. So how do you keep from the word of God departing out of your mouth? You say it again. And folks, the way that God has designed this body to work, this temple of of our spirits to work, this house of our brains to work, is that the more you speak the word of God, the more it becomes implanted in your spirit and in your thinking. There should not a day of your life go by that there's not at least one scripture you're thinking on and speaking to plant on the inside of your heart. I know a lot of people put a lot of stock into reading the Bible, and that's a great thing to do. But you'll get further with meditating in in just one scripture than you will reading 10 chapters per day. Because the more opportunity you have to speak the word of God, the more and more it becomes implanted in your spirit, the more and more it takes root in your spirit and in your thinking. You should always be meditating on the word of God. Now, some people say, well, where do we start? Well, what do you need help in? God told Joshua that if he would meditate in the word, Day and night. Now folks, get this. Day and night belongs to meditating in the Word, but the rest of your time is yours. So he's talking about something that doesn't keep you from doing the activities of life. He's talking about having the Word with you while you're involved in other activities. He's talking about something where you... Speak the word of God continually continually while you're doing other things. And notice what he said. He said, if we'll meditate in the word day and night for the purpose of observing to do all that is written therein. He said, then we make our way prosperous. He didn't even say he, he would make our way prosperous. He said, we would make our way prosperous. And we would have good success. The answer is in the word. Just as Paul said that the gospel of Christ or the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. Rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and heal. Paul said the word of God, the spoken word, is what brings those blessings into your life. Which makes the truth of the word of God a reality in your life, in your Christian walk. So what does Joshua do? He turns around and talks to the people. Verse 10, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the host and and command the people, saying, prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to half the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua saying, Remember the word which the Lord, Moses the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed All the mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he has given you. And they have also possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of Jordan toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua saying all that thou commandest us we will do and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go they're making another commitment to obey god's word and obey joshua according as we, as we have hearkened unto moses in all things so will we hearken unto, unto thee only the lord thy god be with thee as he was with moses wheresoever whosoever he be that doeth that doth rebel against the commandment and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him he shall be put to death only be strong and of good courage the Bible tells us about how they began to move forward they took the ark of the covenant and put it on the shoulders of the priest and went to the Jordan River the edge of the Jordan River and when their feet touched the edge of the Jordan River The Jordan River parted just like the Red Sea had for their fathers 40 years earlier. The priest walked out to the middle of the Jordan River and stood still while all the the 12 tribes of Israel, these millions of people, probably uh, certainly a greater number now than what came out of Egypt because of the 40 years of having children that had taken place. So all of these millions of people passed over the Jordan River to the other side into the Promised Land. When everybody was over, the priests came out and the waters came back together. Now the Bible says this happened over close to the city of Jericho. So Jericho, the people of the city, come out to the walls look over, look down from the walls and see everything that God is now doing for the children of Israel just like they had heard about 40 years before. Joshua sends two spies to scope out the city of Jericho and the surrounding territory. They come to the city And they find a harlot, a prostitute named Rahab. And they identify who they are to her. And she explains the attitude of the people of the city. She said, we heard that your God defeated the Egyptians and that he parted the Red Sea for you. She said, we've been afraid of you for 40 years. Where in the world have you been? So the very same people that the 10 spies said 40 years earlier saw them as grasshoppers. In fact, they really saw them as victorious. So just as Caleb had said 40 years ago, their defenses had departed from them. They have wasted 40 years of their lives because they wouldn't accept God's promise to be with them and help them to deliver the land into their hands. I wonder how many people are going to get to heaven and see how much of their lives they've wasted when they find out what God really had done done for them and was prepared to do for them if they would only act on the word. Joshua understands by the direction of the Lord how this battle at Jericho is going to go. He tells the people, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the army and the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to walk around the city of Jericho one time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to take seven laps around. He said, nobody is to shout, nobody is to utter a word until I give the direction, give the order to shout after we've gone around the city of Jericho the seventh time on the seventh day. Joshua teaches us something here, folks. He teaches the importance of keeping the children of Israel from speaking according to what they see and hear. He doesn't require faith of them. It's not important for them to say that they believe or to confess what they believe about the walls. He just has to keep them quiet. Because of the eternal law of God, As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. So Joshua understands. And here's the source of faith that he and Caleb were operating in 40 years earlier. The first time they were there. He knows that the important thing, the key, is to keep the people from speaking in unbelief. Now, here's a a truth about faith that you'd be well to know. Doubt in your mind cannot stop your faith from working. See, the devil wants you to think that because you're thinking thoughts of doubt, that it's too late, your faith won't produce results. But that's not true. It doesn't matter what doubts come to your mind. It doesn't matter what circumstances the devil tries to bring to your remembrance. The only thing that works, the only thing that matters, are the words that you speak from your heart. In other words, the words that God tells you that He's with you, that He's on your side, He'll bring you into victory, and and so forth. Those are the words that count. And as long as you don't speak something contrary to those words, no matter how much you think in your mind this isn't working, no matter what circumstances you see that are designed to cause you to speak against God's word, as long as you refuse to speak any words of doubt, then there's nothing the devil can do to keep you from walking in victory. Moses had thoughts of doubt. Joshua had thoughts of doubt. Caleb had thoughts of doubt. How do you know, Pastor Mike? Because they're human. And the devil deals with each one of us the same way. He brings thoughts of doubt to our mind. He tries to make us say. He tries to push us into saying or speaking against God's word. But remember the the eternal law of God is not that God will deal with you according to what you think. He deals with you according to what you say. Joshua knows if he lets these people speak if he lets these people say what they think about the wall then he knows it won't work. So from the time the first day that they go to encircle the city of Jericho, he has issued a command that nobody can say a word, not just when they're circling the city, but when they're back around the campfire too. Can you imagine what things would be like if he allowed them to speak? That first night around the campfire, somebody would be saying, did you ever see a bigger wall in your life? Somebody else would speak up and say, Yeah, that thing looked to be 100 feet tall. Then somebody else would speak up and say, Yeah, and you can't hardly tell from the outside, but it's 50 feet wide or thick. Then somebody else is going to speak up and say, This Joshua fellow is working just like Moses did. He's going to get us all killed. But Joshua was smart enough to know that if they're going to win the battle, he's got to keep the the people from speaking against God's promise. So he says to them, nobody says a word for seven days until I give the order to shout. They've already committed. They already said that they'd do whatever he commanded them to do. And in fact, they would put to death anybody that didn't obey what Joshua said. So they're, they're all in now. They're fully committed. Of course, you know the end of the story. On the seventh day, they take seven laps around the city. And at the end of the seventh lap, Joshua shouts to the people, now give your shout these people have been waiting for a week to utter a sound and they shouted with all their might and the Bible says that the walls of Jericho fell down flat now folks think this through if the city walls were 100 feet tall and 50 feet thick then if the walls falling down flat are just them toppling over they've still got a 50-foot barrier to overcome. But if you look at the words that are used in Joshua 6 to describe the wall, when it says they fell down flat, it literally means they fell down underneath. So there was more of an opening of the the earth, and the walls falling down like an elevator would go down to the floor. And then their way into the city, entrance into the city was unencumbered. So they fought the people of the city of Jericho. They destroyed the city, even as God said for them to do. All because they had a leader who spoke for the people, enlisted the aid of the people, the people who committed To obeying what he said to do. And he was smart enough to keep the people from speaking against God's word or God's promise. Folks, the same thing's true for you and me. It doesn't matter how big the problem, God's bigger. Now, we don't have anybody commanding us not to speak for a week or whatever length of time is involved in what we're looking for. But the key to success is to speak his word and continue to speak his word and never allow any thought of doubt or unbelief to cross your lips. Faith will work in your heart, even with doubt in your mind. Once you speak the word of faith, never, ever, ever say anything to contradict it. That's the kind of faith that brings results, that's the kind of faith that overcomes the devil. That's the kind of faith that moves mountains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are always with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Father, that there's no obstacle that's too big for you. There's no enemy that can defeat you. So, Father, we declare that we do not fear for anything because you are with us. We will not be confounded or dismayed because you are our God. We declare that we walk in health. We declare that we walk in provision. We declare that we walk in the blessings of God in every possible way because of what Jesus has purchased for us and because of what your word declares. We rebuke COVID virus in Jesus' name. We declare, Father, that because Jesus is our healer, we shall not get the COVID virus or any variant we declare that we walk free from every sickness and disease we declare that every bacteria, virus, germ or any other evil thing that comes in contact with our bodies, dies instantly. Thank you, Father, that because we keep our minds on you through the confession of your word, we thank you, Father, that you keep us in perfect peace. Thank you, Father, that your word is the means of victory over every enemy over every circumstance over every evil thing we declare that the word is working mightily in our bodies and in our lives no matter what it looks like no matter how it feels we declare we walk in victory We declare that you are our victory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hallelujah.